Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad you're here. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can always get the next episode. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Well, I am glad that God sees us differently than we see ourselves or each other. Imagine, if you would, just for a moment, when calling the 12 disciples, if Jesus had consulted some sort of HR firm to evaluate his candidates, uh, to get a professional opinion of their qualifications, because Jesus sees those original disciples very differently than maybe we would. So, here's a funny little, uh, we'll call it a letter, that Tim Hansel wrote about what such an evaluation might look like. And it goes like this. To Jesus, son of Joseph, the uh, at the Woodcrafters Carpenter Shop in Nazareth, uh, from the Jordan Management Consultants. Dear Sir, Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked up for managerial uh, positions for your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the tests through a computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all the tests are included. You will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance much as an auditor will include in some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee, and it is in the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We would recommend you continue to your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted in the greater Uh, Jerusalem Better Business Bureau, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings. They have both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, and has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated. He's ambitious and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you success in your new venture. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants. Well, I know that's just a fictional, funny thing, uh, but it is interesting. If we think of those first 12 disciples, I have a feeling our world, we would have picked different people. From our perspective, they don't fit the bill very well. They don't have the education, they don't have the connections, they don't have the culture, but Jesus saw something different in each one of them, and thank goodness he did. And each of us face opinions and judgments of others and ourselves all the time. This world has no shortage of opinions on your worth, your ability, your accomplishments, and it's up to you and me to discern those different voices that are telling us who we are and what we're worth. Which one of them are you going to value, and which voices are you going to ignore? 
Certainly, we need to respect and honor the voices of authority in our lives, like employers and teachers and parents and family members, but sometimes even those voices can be dangerous, and so we should be careful. Beware of any voice, any person, even your own voice, if it speaks contrary to God's voice and God's leading. Heeding the call of Jesus and His voice will bring life meaning, and wholeness into your life. And that's where it really should come from. The question is, what will you do when you hear that call? And so today, I want to share with you a story, the story of Zacchaeus. He was a man of success. He was a man of wealth and power. And he also had a lot of competing voices in his life, some that encouraged him to dishonest practices as a tax collector, some that accused him, some that dismissed him altogether. Last week, we read about the tax collector in the temple praying, humbling himself before God, asking God to have mercy on him as a sinner. And I suspect that Zacchaeus knew himself well enough and understood his personal demons and knew that he needed more in his life than what he currently had. And so, in our story, Zacchaeus gets to hear a new voice, the voice of Jesus, and he's got to decide how to respond. Will he believe Jesus or will he believe the judgment of the crowd? Because the crowd is very negative towards Zacchaeus. And so, this task, this text asks you and me to heed the voice of Jesus and believe the redemption and mercy that he has for us. And this text is asking us to put aside the voice of the crowd, which might tear us down and tell us we're unworthy of, of receiving the call from Jesus or that we're unworthy of um, any sort of redemption. So, let's go to the text. It's in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and it reads as follows. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, because, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him in gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want to take some time this morning and look at three voices, three characters in the story. There's Zacchaeus, there's the crowd, And then, of course, we have Jesus. Let's begin with Zacchaeus, a man willing to face his sin, to face his flaws, willing to face the crowd, and he's willing to face Jesus as well. So, let's start with Zacchaeus. This story takes place in the city of Jericho. This city was east of Jerusalem, and and it controlled all the crossings of the Jordan River. Uh, Jericho was a travel hub. 
and it sat on the on two large trade routes. There was a road that ran uh, north and south through Jericho. So if you wanted to go north and south in Israel, you went to Jericho. And there was also a road that went east and west. And, and that road that went west out of Jericho went over to Jerusalem. So it was a major roadway. Now, I want to tell you that wherever a city in the ancient world was placed on major intersections, there was money to be made, because that's where the traders would travel. And let me tell you, a lot of the money that was made was in tax collection. The most common tax that was collected in the time of Christ was actually a traveling tax for using the roadways. Now, Jericho was also uh, world famous for its balsam groves. It's a plant that they grew. These trees uh, had a wonderful perfume that came out of them, and they were so powerful that you could smell the balsam trees for miles away from Jericho. And so, balsam and dates were traded by the Romans worldwide from Jericho. So there's money to be made there, especially from collecting taxes on the balsam and dates. So last week, I talked a little bit about tax collecting, and we need to revisit that a little bit so you can understand kind of who Zacchaeus is. So when it comes to taxes in the ancient world, the Roman taxes, we need to know this. The Romans didn't really publish their tax rates, not the way that we do now in our countries. They would have taxes that they would collect, but it wasn't necessarily public knowledge. And even if Rome tried to publish their tax rates, you got to remember, there's no internet, there's no telephones, there's no fast communication, and so there's no way to ensure that everyone all over the empire would hear what the rates are. So Rome developed a system of tax collection where people were hired to go by hand to collect an amount of money for Rome, and then uh, any extra that they collected would be their own pay. So, ah... It would go like this. In most places, Rome or representative, a representative official, like a chief tax collector, kind of like Zacchaeus, they'd hire people to go out and collect from the neighborhood or on the roads or the marketplace. And those people they were going to hire might make a promise and say, well, you're looking to collect uh, $750 per family. I'm, I'm just grabbing random numbers here. You're looking to collect $750 from a family. I can guarantee you I can get $800 from a family. Okay, we'll hire that guy because he's got a good bid. He's going to get us more than we're asking for. That's what Rome would say. And then when that tax collector went out, he might collect $900 from each family. So he already made a promise of better taxes to the Romans. Like, you want $750, i will get you $800. And then when he goes out, he collects uh, $900, and he gets to pocket the extra. Um, that's how it worked. They kept that extra, and it was expected. Everybody knew that the tax collectors kept the extra, even the families that were collected off of. The problem was, is the public didn't know the tax rates, so there's very little control over how much extra money would get collected. You might have to pay $1,000, but really the tax rate is $400. It, 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 it was very frustrating. And so there is a hierarchy among tax collectors. At the lowest level was the person who collected taxes directly from the people. This might be in a marketplace or on a roadway or going house to house. 
Then you'd have a person in charge of an area, such as a city or a district, and all those, and that that person uh, would collect the money from the collectors, the people who were going person to person. They'd go to the next guy up on the tax collection chain, and and pay a lump sum to that person. And then you might have um, a a city collector or a district collector. Uh, or a region collector, and eventually got to the governors. We know about governors uh, of of the governors of Israel and the governor governor of Judea and Samaria and those different areas. And eventually, you'd get to Rome itself. But that's the picture you have: a frustrating situation where you have a local tax collector and a neighborhood tax collector and a city tax collector and a region and a uh, uh, a, a nation like Israel's governor's tax collector, all the way to you've got six, seven, eight, many more hands collecting the taxes, and each one is taking a little bit of extra money from the pot. Talk about a frustrating situation having to pay taxes with the uncertainty of how much of it's actually going to pay for the empire and how much of it's going to line the pocket of some collector somewhere on the chain. And then if you're an Israelite, the taxes you're paying are paying for the Roman oppressors who are ruling your nation and you don't really want them around anymore. So that's the tax collection situation. People didn't know how much they were supposed to pay, so the tax collector could take extra for themselves. And a chief tax collector, well, they'd get even more so. And this is where we find Zacchaeus. He's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector. He's higher up on that chain. He's responsible for hiring the people that would go directly to collect taxes from the public. He was likely the tax collector in charge of Jericho and the surrounding areas. And as I mentioned, it was a travel area. It was a trade route. It was a place that grew world-famous balsam. There was a lot of money to be made and taxes to be collected. Everybody in the area of Jericho would have known Zacchaeus, and not many people would like him. Much like the tax collector we read about last week in Luke 18, verses 7 and 14, Zacchaeus would have been known as a liar, a cheat, a traitor to the nation, a traitor to the Jewish people, and a traitor to God. Zacchaeus was Jewish. His name was Hebrew, and it meant pure. And I'm sure everybody thought that was quite funny. Oh, there's Pure, the lying tax collector, the cheat. Nobody thought he was Pure. And it's likely that he didn't think of himself that way either. Now, as much as I can describe how bad it was for Zacchaeus, that he was a cultural and ethnic outcast, reality was that life was actually very good for Zacchaeus. He would have been wildly wealthy, He would have been connected to important people. He would have been invited to all the high-class parties of his day, especially if someone wanted to get on his good side and maybe get a deal when the next time taxes needed to be collected. Let's see if we can make that number smaller. In fact, then someone might actually push and pay less or pay nothing, and he'll just collect extra from others to make up the difference. In reality, he lived a life full of perks. Now, Zacchaeus had very few reasons to go see Jesus, because he had a lot of comfort. But something in him 
drove Zacchaeus to climb that tree to see a little bit of Jesus. He wanted something more than what his career was providing. He, For all of his wealth, for all the power, all the connections he had, he hungered for a deeper sense of meaning, of purpose, of holiness, of community. Perhaps his reputation was wearing on him, and he was tired of being Zacchaeus, the unwelcome, the traitor, the sinner. He knew he needed Jesus more than anything. And you and I, we need Jesus. We first need a saving power of our lives, his grace and his redemption. And we need Jesus to break the bond of sin so that we can be set free. But as we grow in our faith, we keep needing the power of Jesus to set us free from strongholds, from old habits, old patterns set in our minds, and to set us free into new growth and a new way of life. Last week, we talked about renewal, and this week, God, through His Word, invites us again to renewal. And to do that, I think we need to be like Zacchaeus and climb some trees. And the tree, in the story, he literally climbs a tree, but the trees that I see him climbing is he's willing to take risks, he's willing to do some hard work, and he's willing to heed the voice of Jesus. So Zacchaeus is willing to take a risk and do some hard work to see Jesus, and he had to be willing to climb that tree. I mean, physically climbing that tree was actually work. It took effort, physically and mentally. And a wealthy man like Zacchaeus, I think this is important in knowing, a wealthy man like Zacchaeus would have to be willing to put his dignity aside to put himself in a position in a tree to see Jesus. I'm not so sure that we ourselves are always willing to do that. Sometimes uh, we are too proud. We go, I, I, I couldn't put my, I couldn't go out on a limb like that. It's a phrase we use in our culture, but it seems scary. It seems nerve wracking. It seems like it's something beneath us, but there's a risk. Are you willing to take it? And part of it might be putting aside a little dignity to get near Jesus. There was certainly risk involved because trees are dangerous if you fall out of them. But the crowd was more dangerous than the tree. In a crowd, it's hard to know just who gave a push or a punch. And there's certainly people in the crowd who'd love to get away with an anonymous kick or punch at the local chief tax collector. So there's risk involved for Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus also chose not to shy away from all the eyes that were on him. And he was willing to sacrifice pretty greatly to please Jesus. This was a moment when, Jesus, when Zacchaeus had to make some decisions about the important voices in his life. First, there's a voice of the crowd. I mean, did you catch in the story when Jesus stops and looks at Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to share a meal. And then there's the crowd who mutters. They judge Zacchaeus and they judge Jesus, actually. The crowd echoes, he's a hopeless sinner, he's unworthy of seeing Jesus. And Zacchaeus, in that moment, has to choose, am I going to trust the voice of the crowd? Because they're not wrong, I'm a pretty rotten guy. Or is he going to choose to trust the voice of Jesus instead? And Zacchaeus has his own voice. His voice had to say, you know, it's worth climbing this tree, sacrifice a little dignity to see Jesus. I, I imagine Zacchaeus knew his own sins. And so he had to trust whether his own voice was the one to listen to or the voice of Jesus. So there's a lot about voices. Which ones do you trust? 
There's a lot about the effort that Zacchaeus puts forth. We don't always want to do the hard work of following Jesus, and risk can keep you from truly living life as God intended for you. But we are called to take some risks, to climb a tree, to get out there a little bit. Vincent van Gogh said this, What would life be if we had no courage to attempt anything? Do you have something you're nervous about or ashamed of or fearful of or worried about that's holding you back from getting closer to Jesus? Maybe you have a fear of what the crowd, our world would say, or fear of what your friends will say, or fear of what family will think. Maybe you're afraid of personal failure. That's all those voices again, right? Hmm. Which one will you listen to? We listen to Jesus or we give power to those voices that cannot give you life from the crowd, the friends and family and all of that. Gloria Pitzer writes these words about the only thing that comes up, that comes to us without effort. Let me start over. Gloria Pitzer writes this about the only thing that comes to us without effort is old age. (laughs) Life does take some work, doesn't it? And to do good things, to live well, to follow Jesus, it's going to take some effort. In 1986, a group of researchers published a study of Japanese mothers and mothers in Minneapolis. The mothers were asked to rank the most important things that a child needs to succeed academically. And the answers tell a lot about the differences our two cultures between our two cultures. The mothers in Minneapolis chose one word above all others to emphasize what's needed to succeed academically, and they chose the word ability. The mothers in Japan chose a different word, effort. Ah, we love ability, but I think the mothers in Japan are right, effort. The reality is that Jesus, he does the heavy lifting in our spiritual lives. He has done the work of salvation. The Holy Spirit does the work of holiness. What is it that we're to do? We're to respond to the work of Jesus. Say, yes, let him in. We'll respond, respond with action of, of, of gratitude, of worship. And so Zacchaeus shows us the things he's willing to do because Jesus has called out to him. This is how the actions that he's shown to show that he's heeding the voice of Jesus. And first he heeds the voice of Jesus um, above all others. He receives Jesus' desire to be his guest, not with doubt, but with belief and with joy. So, that, that the first thing he does in his efforts to show, yeah, I'm going to listen to Jesus, is that he really heeds that voice with belief and with joy. There's excitement in Zacchaeus. And I guess when I look at that, because when I read the story, Zacchaeus never seems to doubt Jesus. The crowd is telling him he should doubt, but he never doubts Jesus. And so, I think the challenge for us is, is are we going to respond to the word of God, to the call of Jesus with doubt or with belief? At some point, you must decide if you're going to follow and believe the voice of God, his word. Will you do that or are you doubting it? Secondly, Zacchaeus ignores the voice of the crowd. This is really important for us to see. I love that Zacchaeus' response, I love his response to the crowd. 
See, Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna, I want to eat at your house today. I want to be your guest, Zacchaeus. And the crowd starts to mutter and call Zacchaeus a sinner. And they're saying he's unworthy. And then they start questioning Jesus. And why is he going to go eat with that sinner? And I love Zacchaeus's response. Did you catch who Zacchaeus responds to in the story? He responds, the crowd makes an accusation, and Zacchaeus talks to Jesus. Zacchaeus, essentially, he hears what the crowd says, but he never tries to argue with the crowd. He doesn't try to pick a fight with the crowd. They say, oh, he's a sinner. Zacchaeus doesn't go, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not that bad. You guys have it all wrong. He doesn't say that. He doesn't pick a fight with the crowd. He only speaks to Jesus. Zacchaeus has decided Jesus is the important one here. Jesus is the one that I need to get life from. So, I'm going to talk to Jesus. Today, it is too easy to want to argue with the crowd. Whenever the crowd tries to entangle you in debates, tries to tear you down, tries to accuse you, the best response we have is to go straight to Jesus and heed his voice alone. And so, that's what Zacchaeus does. He heeds the voice of Christ. Secondly, or well, the last thing about this is he takes action. He puts forth effort in listening to the voice of Jesus with action, with things that he's actually going to do here. He gives away his wealth very generously. He does not do this to earn righteousness. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor, and I'm going to pay back those that I have wronged. He does this as an act of gratitude. That's not for earning righteousness. He does it as a thank you to what Jesus is doing. And so, let's just take a minute or two and look what he actually does. He gives half his money to the poor, and then he uses the remainder to repay those he's cheated fourfold. And um, there's some scripture behind what he's doing. He's, he's actually repaying more than he needs to. In the book of Numbers, there's a description of what people should do. It's in Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Say to the Israelites, Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed and they must make full restitution for the wrong they've done and add a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the person that they've wronged. So, he's supposed to, according to numbers, if you've cheated someone, pay him back what you cheated him for and give a fifth more. Zacchaeus says, well, I will give them four times what I've cheated, which is way more. It's a sign of gratitude for what Jesus has done for Zacchaeus. Reality is, Zacchaeus takes a different route with that repayment. I said it's more, but he puts himself in a category a little different from someone who just cheats a little bit of money away from someone else. He puts himself in the same place as David when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. This is what it says when David's being confronted with a, with a sense that David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. See, Nathan had told a story about someone who cheated another person, and David was angry at that injustice. And then David turns around and said, no, no, it's not about a guy who took a lamb. It's about you, David, taking a man's wife. 
David thought he should pay fourfold. And this is what Zacchaeus is doing. He's saying, you know what? I've cheated. And so I'm willing to pay back fourfold. This required great effort, great risk, and great humility. Imagine being Zacchaeus, having to pay all those people back, knocking on those doors. I am sure not everybody was grateful, and more than one person gave him an earful. when he, they, Maybe they liked getting the money back, but I'm sure they were like, yeah, well, you cheated me, and just tore him a new one. Imagine what it was like for Zacchaeus. Because he still had to pay a tax bill to the Romans. He promised them that he could collect a certain amount. Imagine what it was like for him when he had to pay that tax bill that year, when he had used that money to pay people back and to help the poor. He'd have to figure out another way to get it. Imagine what Zacchaeus experienced when no one in his circle of peers, those people of power, those people of influence, those co-workers, could understand what he was doing, all the other tax collectors, Zacchaeus, what are you doing? All the perks, all the parties, all the powerful connections he experienced as a tax collector probably dried up in that moment when he said, I'm going to pay everybody back. Zacchaeus did a very difficult thing. It wasn't to earn righteousness, but it was out of gratitude. But I will say this, with every penny he gave away, Zacchaeus also grew. With every person that he had to confess to, he also grew. Each time he paid a person back, his heart became softer and healthier in his relationship with God. Daryl Bach writes about correcting the wrongs that we've made in life and how much that corrected, correcting process can hurt, but he says this, One of the most painful things we can do in a relationship is to commit a wrong and then pretend it never happened or it, it did not do any damage. Hmm. It's worth making the effort to correct, to confess, to fix what you can. So as you're hearing this message, some of you probably need to climb a tree and get closer to Jesus. And that tree might be fixing a broken relationship. It might be confessing a sin that you committed. It might be doing something to repair a connection you have with a person. Do not let fear or frustration of that broken relationship keep you from the life that God has made for you. That's where Zacchaeus is at in the story. He makes the effort to climb the tree to hear Jesus, to obey, to uh, respond in gratitude. But I want to talk about two other voices real quickly here. There's the crowd. I mentioned them a little bit, but I need you to think about the crowd. As much as I might put myself in the shoes of Zacchaeus and try to learn from him, I find that I must also put myself in the shoes of the crowd that's watching Jesus announce that he will be a guest at Zacchaeus' home. The crowd they instantly write off Zacchaeus. Oh, he's a liar. He's a traitor. He's a sinner. He's not worth redeeming. The crowd gives him no chance. And I must check myself whenever I think a person is beyond redemption. 
Because if someone else is beyond redemption, then I am in danger of being beyond redemption. And God does not see us that way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we read these words, This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be redemption. And he knows that not everybody will choose redemption, but God wants all people to be redeemed, which means all people can be redeemed. You can be redeemed. I can be redeemed. And so is that person that maybe you've decided is beyond redemption. So do not be like the crowd. The crowd is also very critical of Jesus. Did you catch that in their words? They said, oh, he's going to go be the guest of a sinner. Well, the sinner is Zacchaeus. And they're being critical of Jesus. They think of how lowly Zacchaeus is, but their words are really about Jesus. He's eating with a sinner and being a guest in someone's home was a big deal. To do so was to link your reputation with theirs. If you are a person of standing, you're indicating your approval of them. And Jesus, the rabbi, eating with Zacchaeus was a statement that the crowd was not comfortable with. You and I are always going to find ourselves in the crowd, but we should not be like the crowd in this story. Andrew Murray writes these words, Our love to God is measured by our everyday fellowship with others and the love it displays. The crowd should be cheerleaders and helpers when someone wants to see Jesus. Instead, the crowd often can't see beyond itself. Commentators across the board agreed that the crowd likely kept Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. He was short and they knew it, and so they didn't want to let him through to see. Make it hard for Zacchaeus to get to the front to see Jesus. It was also agreed by commentators that the crowd would relish an opportunity for a little spontaneous justice by offering an anonymous kick or a push or a punch as Zacchaeus tried to get through. And when Jesus talks to Zacchaeus, the crowd reveals itself when they grumble. Their voice reveals their hearts. They've already decided that God does not want anything to do with Zacchaeus, and it's bad for Jesus to be seen with him. Who in your life would you have trouble with becoming a Christian? I hope your answer would be nobody. But who in your life would you have trouble with receiving forgiveness or giving forgiveness too. We often feel people should get what they deserve, but who in your life would you have trouble with becoming your equal instead of receiving their just desserts? Do you have someone in your life that if they became a Christian, your response would be more like, well, we'll see how that works, instead of excitement and encouragement? We should be cheerleaders. We should make way for people to see Jesus. Let's go to that last voice in the story, the voice of Jesus. He is the most important voice in the story. I need you to understand this. As much as Zacchaeus did to try to see Jesus, meaning he was willing to endure the crowd, he was willing to climb a tree, he was willing to risk his reputation, he was willing to give up all the stuff he had, despite of all that Zacchaeus was willing to do, all the more Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. No effort on your part to get to Jesus outpaces his effort to get to you. Revelation 3.20 says, with Jesus speaking, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, of my heart, of everyone's heart. He wants in to your life. Any effort you have to try to get to him, he is more so trying to get to you. 
Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning, while we were still unworthy, unholy, undeserving, Christ died for us to redeem us. He came for us first. John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I'll raise them up on the last day. We may try to get to God, but his efforts to get to us are all the stronger. So the question is, will you heed the voice of Jesus? He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to receive the forgiveness of, of what, what, what he's, forgiveness through what he's done on the cross. Jesus has a purpose for you and a calling for you. He sees your worth even when you doubt yourself. The question is, is are you willing to risk it, to take the risk and climb the tree and to get above the opinions of others and your self-doubts and whatever other voices are in this world? This world is full of opinions and voices trying to pull us many different directions. Are you willing to get above all of that and heed the voice of Jesus and say, yes, I want you in my life? Let's pray. Lord God, this world is full of noise, full of opinions, full of distractions. Help us to hear the voice of Jesus above others very clearly. When the voices around us speak of doubt and judgment, displace that doubt with your truth and your promise. Lord, help us realize that no matter what we do to get to you, you are making far greater efforts to be near and in our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.